0: Rather than just uh, pluck this passage uh, out of context, uh, let me give you a little bit of uh, what was going on here. Um, And it's always great to start with Peter when he's involved. Uh, He was probably feeling pretty good about himself uh, from a couple chapters earlier where he had proclaimed... Uh, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and Jesus commended him for that, but then right after that he he said something, and uh, Jesus had to rebuke him uh, for that as well, uh, so he had said something foolish, but uh, still, Peter is Peter, so it 's likely that he was uh still in that mode and thinking, you know, in this moment of insight of mine, I think I could uh, have a theological discussion with Jesus. And perhaps uh, where it came from, and uh, he picked the topic uh, forgiveness, and I doubt that that was out of uh, thin air. Because that was something that had been uh, debated by rabbis and had been for a long time. Uh, He was probably building on something that he had heard. And we know these debates had gone on uh, because it's recorded that a rabbi in 180 AD said, if a brother sins against you once, forgive him. A second time, forgive him. Uh, a third time, forgive him, but a fourth time, do not forgive him. Okay, so that's where the debates, and that was probably over a, a process of, of time. Now, here is Peter, and probably having heard discussions about those kinds of things, he, he thought that he would maybe show the Lord of his utmost charity toward others. And so, um, we, we know that our thoughts are not God's thoughts, and Peter's were way off at this point. Um, however, before you look down on Peter... You need to ask yourself, have you ever forgiven somebody seven times? So here's the question that he came up with again, probably trying to show how charitable uh, he, he was. He said, You know, should we um, forgive seven times? Should we? Jesus answer I do not say to you seven times, but seventy seven times now here 's the point: if you are counting how many times you're forgiving someone else, then you 've missed the point because If that's the way you're looking at it, you're probably saying, okay, 77, but on the 78th time, I don't have to forgive. And again, that's obviously missing the point. So Jesus gives this stunning answer, and then he gives a parable to illustrate his point. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. And I will pick up with verse 23 of Matthew 18. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle... And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him. And seizing him, uh, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Let's pray together. Lord, will you cause your word by your Holy Spirit to penetrate our hearts and our lives? Will you show us where we have blind spots? that we just haven't seen. We're asking for that, and so, Lord, will you do it? Will you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So here we are, back to Peter. And then the parable sweeps over them. Oh Lord. What? How? How does this work? Well, let's look back at the parable and make sure we, we understand it I, at face value. Even if you didn't know the value of, of talents and denarii, uh, it, it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. But let me, let me just give you, uh, to illustrate how overwhelming this is. In verse 24, it says, When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, here's the bottom line of, of that, and that Jesus was clearly just meaning the largest debt conceivable. But in terms of of dollars, uh, a talent was a a monetary unit worth, and you can probably see this as a footnote in, in your Bibles, worth about 20 years wages for a laborer. That's one talent. 10,000 talents. 200,000 years of wages. Now, some people have gone on to figure out, and I, I could read you how they figured out, well, if it was gold, it would be this much, and so on. But it's uh, even those that have done that have gone into the uh, trillions of dollars, we're talking national debt here, okay? So picture that, and that's not the national debt that we can somehow ignore, that's your debt, and it's been called. The one you owe it to has said, bring it in, It's time. And, of course, you can't. Now, what's going to happen if you can't? Well, typically, they they put them in prison. I always think this is amazing. Till they can pay the debt. How's that going to work? So it's a life sentence, right? But there he is, he and his family in an impossible situation, and so he does the only thing he possibly could. He pleads for mercy. I'll pay it all. Now, the one who it was owed to knew very well he was not gonna pay at all. In fact, he probably knew he won't pay anything so I've just got to decide, am I, to, am I going to show mercy or am I not going to show mercy? And he shows mercy. Okay. You're forgiven. Your debt's forgiven. Then we see the parable go on. Verse 28. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. Now, a denarius was about one day's wage for a laborer, okay? So you get the comparison. He owed 100 denarii, seizing him. He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. You compare a day's wage to 200,000 years and there it is we see ultimately that the one who originally was owed the great debt and had forgiven it says wait a minute you can't treat others that way when you've been forgiven so much And that's how Jesus answers about forgiving others. About why he said 77 times, which, by the way, is probably more than any of us can imagine forgiving someone else. So let's think about how how this would have hit his disciples Peter and the disciples, or early Christians. So, you're a follower of Christ, a follower of Jesus. You've been with him, you've heard his teachings about forgiveness, about judgment, about sin, about love. And you have seen his ways. You've seen him practice what he is saying they ought to do. You heard him say at the last Passover, this is my body and my blood, and it's for you. You saw him arrested. You saw him Tried, You saw him sentenced to death. And then you saw him nailed to a cross. And you saw him hanging there suffering. And while he is there on the cross, he asks the father to forgive them. You saw all that. You know who you are? We sang about it. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Your eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's who you are. You understand his his great sacrifice. You've been in the presence of his holiness, and it has caused you to see how horrible your own sin is. You understand That it cost him. The innocent one. His life. For you to be able to be forgiven. And you receive that. And then. In the course of life. Someone offends you. Someone makes a a thoughtless comment to you. And you hold a grudge. You don't deal with it. And a root of bitterness begins to consume you because you refuse to forgive them. Jesus hung on the cross for you and someone steps on your toe and you won't forgive them. Do you see how wrong an unforgiving heart is for the believer who has been forgiven so much? And that's what Jesus is saying. Okay. But I was really sinned against. It wasn't just an offense. It wasn't just somebody stepping on my toe. I was really hurt. Okay? Does the word of God still apply? And what do we do with that? Where do we go from here? We're talking about the, the disciples who were there and they saw Jesus, but we, we've seen even more than they. We know what he went through for us. So let's see what he says we ought to do. In our life, Matthew 6, verse 12, we're gonna hit a number of verses Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is Jesus teaching us to pray. And in the the middle of teaching us to pray, he says, here it is. Don't forget. You ask for forgiveness. But you are to be a forgiver as well. Ephesians 4, 32, these are all in the outline. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So Paul is reminding the believer of who they are in Christ and he connects our ability to uh, forgive with the fact that God forgave us. James Montgomery Boyce said, The only sure proof of a person's having received God's forgiveness through faith in Jesus is a transformed heart and a changed life. And that is displayed in our willingness to forgive others. In the outline that's uh, in your worship guide on page eight, you will see a prayer. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. This is a sample prayer. There's nothing magical about it. I wrote it, so you use your own words if it applies. And you may not be struggling with forgiving someone else, but sometimes it's about forgiving ourselves or even forgiving God. The prayer says this Lord, I'm struggling with forgiveness of blank. I know that as a forgiven child of God, forgiveness is a right act of my will. Please give me the strength to decide to forgive and then to follow through on that act. So, what's that mean? Well, let me give you some biblical principles in terms of of forgiving others. What we've been taught from the Word of God. Number one, take the initiative. You take the initiative. Matthew 5, Jesus speaking in verse 23. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, which by the way, it's talking about if you're worshiping. And there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, too often, our tendency is to avoid dealing with others. And some of you were brought up that way. I wish I had a nickel for every time someone had said to me, well, you know, in the South, we just don't confront people. We just don't head on. That's what they do up North. (laughs) And then the more honest ones say, we just say it behind their backs is what we... (laughs) But that's not just a northern-southern thing. Most people tend to not like to confront other people. But you know, the, the scripture is, it is above all cultures. It's above every culture. And we can never blame our culture and say, well, that's that takes precedence because that's how I was taught in my home or that's what my culture teaches me. If it contradicts scripture, we submit. If we are believers, if we're trusting in Christ alone, we submit to the word of God. So here's how important it is according to Jesus. He says that, that dealing with sin and forgiveness is so serious that you should interrupt worship, your worship for it. You're headed to worship. You remember it. It's there. You, you, you leave your offering. You go deal with it, and then come back and resume worship. Now, I, I just made the statement that we should interrupt worship, but I think actually the point is, your worship's already been interrupted. So you need to deal with what interrupted your worship and that is unforgiveness or bitterness in your heart towards someone or something. So you've got to take the initiative it's still a problem don't give up Matthew 18 verse 15 if your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault between you and him him alone you don't go tell others you go tell him if he listens to you you've gained your brother but if he doesn't listen take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses now in our day it is a value, not among, shouldn't be among Christians, but, but people in our world, in our society, especially unbelievers out there. You say, well, what do you live by? What? And you will often hear, well, I live by judge not. And so that becomes a value we shouldn't judge others, and so we don't need to be dealing with, with things like this. And again, that misses the point of the judge not. It doesn't say judge not. It says there's a way to judge, and it's all about the attitude in our heart that, that we deal with forgiveness in humility because we are forgiven sinners, And then a third step is to pursue reconciliation. 1 Peter 3, verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Romans 12, 17. Repay no one evil for evil. See, he was both of them. Peter and, and Paul were both speaking against the culture because the culture of that day and ours to a degree would, would be get even, repay it, stand up for yourself. Romans 12, 17, repay no one evil for evil but give Uh, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So for the believer, we've got to give up what some would call our right toward revenge. I have a right. I've been wronged. I should... Get revenge and then I'll feel better. If you've ever gone that route, you know it doesn't work. You don't feel better if you're really a believer because you're going against God's way of doing. And then fourthly, we need to leave Final justice to God. These are all interrelated. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So if you're saying, I can't let them get away with it, you're not the final judge. Don't act like you're the final judge. And don't for a minute think anybody gets away with anything. (laughs) Things will be made right when Jesus comes back. I don't want to wait till Jesus comes back. I need it now. I know. I've felt that way. That's where God's word comes to bear on our hearts. There's a place where Paul actually did this, a a real example of how Paul was doing just that. And I I can just read it to you. 2 Timothy 4, verse 14. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. And then he went on to warn them about him. But he basically said, yeah, he, he harmed me. The Lord will take care of that. That's how he dealt with it. So here's what we need to know. We cannot finish the work of forgiveness. We can only do our part. Our part is to take the initiative, don't give up, seek reconciliation, renounce revenge, leave the final justice to God. Those are the attitudes that that we must have but let me deal with one more question. In, John, in Luke 17, verse three, it says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. But here's the question. What if they don't repent? Repent. then what do we do? What if they never repent? What do we as believers do? What should be our attitude? As I said, we can only do our part. Ken Sandy, who wrote Peacemakers, speaks of forgiveness as a two-stage process. The first stage, he says, requires having an attitude of forgiveness, and the second is granting forgiveness. Having an attitude of forgiveness is unconditional, and it's a commitment you make to God. And what he means by that is being ready to grant forgiveness. But he says granting forgiveness is conditional on the repentance of the offender and takes place between you and that person. So let, let me explain what he's saying is that we can only seek to have a right heart in these situations. We cannot complete forgiveness. If there's no repentance on the other side, our job is to stand Ready to forgive. Genuinely ready to grant forgiveness. Why? Because we've been forgiven so much. And and here's the ultimate. Here's the ultimate example. Is on the cross. Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's stage one. Were they forgiven at that point? He was ready and willing to forgive. When were they forgiven? Fast forward to the forgiveness of Peter and the disciples. Fast forward to the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 people repented and asked forgiveness for their sin, likely some of those people were at the cross that day. That's when the work of forgiveness was completed. May God... Give us hearts and the grace to forgive as Christ forgave us. Let's bow together. Lord, we don't have the capacity. But if we are in Christ, then Christ dwells in us and he has the capacity to forgive others. And so, Lord, when we are at the end of ourselves, will you help us always to depend upon his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. Help us to do that toward others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.